Hello, Internet friend. I'm David Ravel, and this is ValueSide. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valueside.com. Well, today, the 2014 Ukrainian coup and the American trio who started it all. Page one. The Ukrainian president who wanted neutrality for his country. Now, the world is still buzzing about Tucker Carlson's interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin. You may have been surprised to hear Putin indicate that the conflict between Russia and Ukraine began much earlier than February of 2022, when Russian troops crossed the border into Ukraine. Putin said that he felt the conflict began with the Euromaidan coup in Ukraine 10 years earlier. It was then that bloody riots took place in the capital city of Kiev, specifically in Maidan Square, hence the name. During those bloody riots, over a hundred Ukrainians were killed, and absolute chaos broke out, first provoking then-President Viktor Yanukovych to send in troops, and later creating a massive backlash that would see Yanukovych resign from the presidency and flee to self-imposed exile in Russia. Now, for those of us in America, this appeared to be a spontaneous uprising of the people against an oppressive central government. It went unnoticed that working behind the scenes were three Americans, three who became the driving force behind first the Ukrainian coup and later as it morphed into a proxy war with the Russian Federation. Now, it's been a decade since the events in Ukraine have overtaken the world. History was made in February of 2014 when a rebellion on the streets of Kiev and the resignation of the president and the annexation of Crimea galvanized the world. Suddenly, the international community divided into two camps, the pro-Ukrainian and the pro-Russian. Fully eight years before the Russo-Ukrainian War began, all the elements of all-out war were in place, managed by three Americans, Victoria Newland of the U.S. State Department, George Soros of the Renaissance and Open Society Foundations, and Joe Biden, at the time, Vice President of the United States. They were the diplomat, the head of a non-governmental organization, an NGO, and the U.S. Vice President. And our story begins in the closing days of 2013. The President of Ukraine was Viktor Yanukovych, serving out his last year of a four-year term. When first elected, Yanukovych was considered to be a pro-European Union and pro-American president. It followed then that he would be an anti-Russian, something that fits nicely with the European and American future for Ukraine. However, Yanukovych had other ideas. He felt that Ukraine ought to be neutral, not choosing either side, neither Russia nor the European Union. For Ukrainians, this has become its historic and geographic position a crossroad of trade and commerce between Scandinavia and Europe to the north and west and Russia and Asia to the east. Yanukovych resisted any effort to align with either side. It places Yanukovych in a delicate position. He must walk the fine line between Russia and the west and keep the Ukrainian people informed of his evolving strategy. Now, two significant events showed just how difficult this balancing act was. When first elected to the presidency, he chose to renew the Russian lease on the port of Sevastopol, the home of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Russia and Ukraine signed in 1997 a 20-year term agreement. 
Although it had only run 10 years, Yanukovych thought that he could cut a better deal by renegotiating the lease early. Indeed, he achieved a reduced price for the Russian natural gas used to make the lease payment. It was a win for the Ukrainian people, who enjoyed the lower energy costs. But in the West, it was considered befriending Russia, something the EU and U.S. would not tolerate. By 2013, the European Union and the United States began to exert tremendous pressure on Yanukovych to align more closely with the West. The European Union proposed that Ukraine sign an association agreement. Now, that's an agreement that stops short of full membership in the EU, but closely aligns the associate country with the European Union. Turkey has been a long-standing associate member of the European Union, and you'd need help telling the difference between full and associate members. Turkey is bound by the same restrictions and prohibitions as is a full member, and is expected to give priority to other EU member states in trade and commerce. For Yanukovych, this was the first necessary step in admitting Ukraine as a full member of the European Union. Receiving an invitation to one of the most significant multi-state associations in the world must have been heady times for Yanukovych. Yanukovych was likely elated at the EU's offer and inclined to sign up. Impetuously, he announced that he would shortly sign the EU association agreement. However, this would become a fatal mistake for Yanukovych's presidency. Either he failed to understand the full ramifications of becoming an EU associate member, or he forgot that another offer was likely coming from Russia. Whatever the reason, Yanukovych changed his mind. After telling the world that he would sign the EU's agreement, he reversed and said he would not. And instead, he signed the trade agreement with Russia. And like all of Yanukovych's significant deals, this was a sound financial agreement that would provide Ukraine with inexpensive energy, especially natural gas and much-needed aid and assistance with the Ukrainian nuclear power plants, just like the Sevastopol Agreement. In Yanukovych's world, and remember Yanukovych is an economist, this was a rational decision. He received a better deal from Russia, so he took it. It was that political blind spot we talked about earlier. He failed to comprehend that this change in direction would deliver a mortal blow to his presidency. The sharks were already circling. Now, the response from the EU was to increase the pressure even more, sending a fleet of diplomats to persuade Yanukovych to come to their side. The president's chief aide, Andrei Kalevich, related how an endless line of visitors would queue up at the president's offer as one after another pleaded their case. This strategy was to keep Yanukovych off balance and confused, with little time to react to new events down on Maidan Square. Now, in the square, the crowds of demonstrators were growing as the word got out through traditional and social media that history was about to be made. As we'll see in a moment, this was no accident, but bears the unmistakable fingerprints of George Soros and his open society. As each delegation left Yanukovych's office, they would go down to the square to rile up the demonstrators, and the pressure to join the EU kept building. Page 2. George Soros fans the flame of rebellion. Now, on November 21, 2013, 
Yanukovych announced that he would reject the European offer of associate membership and instead sign a trade agreement with Russia. It was then when things began to spin out of control. It's unlikely that Yanukovych or anyone in his government could have anticipated what would occur. There was too much at stake and too many different parties involved. America began to make its presence known at all levels available, diplomatic, non-governmental, clandestine, and various American operatives went into work. At first, reactions on the street of Kiev were mild. A few dozen protesters gathered in Maidan Square in the center of Kiev to protest what they felt was Yanukovych's duplicitous action. Ukraine was, and still is, a divided nation. While there are many, quote, Russian speakers, unquote, as we've noted, there are also a substantial number of Ukrainians who do not trust their neighbor to the north and east. These are the ones who still resent the sting of the Soviet Union and distrust all things Russian. To them, Yanukovych's actions seem to be like a double cross. Enter the Renaissance Foundation, a division of George Soros's Open Society. Now, Soros is one of the most politically active of all global billionaires. A native of Hungary, Soros has marshaled his great wealth to incite societal change throughout Eastern Europe. It was Soros and his various non-governmental organizations that formed the so-called color revolutions throughout the region following the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. Twelve years later, he was more than ready to take on Ukraine. So what began as a simple walking protest, the kind Americans used to see in the 1960s, quickly morphed into a full-scale encampment within Kiev. It became a city within a city, complete with reinforced barricades, tents, food services, and even a broadcast center. At its peak, more than 800,000 Ukrainians called Euromaidan their home for the duration. Now, as the Euronews reported in their headline, quote, a rather modest Ukrainian protest turned into a revolution. The logistics alone behind the Euromaidan operation were substantial. People would need food and water. Although many local businesses stayed open throughout the encampment, demonstrators filled sandbags with the only available resource, ice, with the bags stacked five meters high. They reinforced with ramparts to repel the tanks and other heavy equipment they expected the government would throw at them. On the street, all forms of communication were humming. Social media was alive with the news from Maidan Square. Even television channel 5 was carrying live reports. All this is from a state-of-the-art broadcast studio in the center of the encampment. Renaissance Foundation at work. On the homepage of the Open Society, you can find this summary. Quote, Why did Ukraine's Euromaidan protests begin? In late November 2013, Ukrainians took the streets in a peaceful protest after then-President Viktor Yanukovych chose not to sign an agreement that would have integrated the country more closely with the European Union. As the protests in Kiev's Independent Square, or Maidan, Continued into 2014, the government began cracking down on the demonstrators. Now, the size of the protest only grew in reaction and turned into what was termed, quote, the revolution of dignity, unquote. 
Those who remained on the Maidan risk assault, kidnapping, unlawful arrest, and loss of life. On January 16th, the government introduced a series of repressive laws severely restricting civil society and the right to protest. On January 22nd, the first protesters were killed in clashes with Kiev. In all, over a hundred, mostly civilian protesters died, with the majority on February 20 and 21, unquote, the open society. Now, resentment naturally built on both sides of the barricades, as hundreds of thousands of people crowded outside in the cold, with little to do, while police tried to anticipate their next move. Some of the demonstrators wanted to strike first by taking out Yanukovych. They headed towards Yanukovych's home. Former Ukraine Prime Minister Mykola Azarov related how a mob of 3,500 headed towards Yanukovych's residence with designated groups, quote, tasked to capture him and implement the Libyan variant. Yanukovych was to be murdered, just like Gaddafi, unquote. Now, Muhammad Gaddafi was the former leader of Lebanon, and he was brutally murdered by a similar mob just three years before. Yanukovych managed to escape. But back at the Maidan Square, things continued to escalate, climaxing on February 21, 2022, when Ukrainian police opened fire upon the demonstrators, killing dozens. Writing just a few days after the February 21 and 22 riot, Max Stepelnik described a phone call between President Yanukovych and U.S. Vice President Joe Biden. Quote, As the bloodiest days of the anti-government protest in Ukraine was drawing to a close last month, U.S. Vice President Joe Biden called President Viktor Yanukovych for the second time in three days and delivered a blunt message. Quote, pull back your security forces now and accept a European brokered settlement or you will be held accountable, Biden warned the pro-Russian leader. It will catch up with you, unquote. Initially defiant, Yanukovych sounded subdued by the end of the hour-long call, according to a senior U.S. official knowledgeable of the conversation. Within hours, Yanukovych signed a deal with the opposition and fled to Russia. This is Reuters, February 23rd. It was probably to be expected that Yanukovych would indeed flee to Russia. Like many Ukrainians, he was, after all, of Russian heritage. What is most remarkable about this conversation is less that he aided in Yanukovych's resignation than that he identified Yanukovych as a pro-Russian sympathizer. For Biden, Ukraine would become the sword by which he can inflict the most pain upon the Russian state. As any careful observer will note, each appeal that Biden makes for more funds and weapons for Ukraine is always prefaced with the, quote, halting Russian aggression, unquote. When the fighting ended, 104 demonstrators had been killed, along with 26 police officers. President Yanukovych, most of the government, and the police all abandoned the city. The rebels had won. Days later, Yanukovych showed up in Russia, where to this day he remains in exile. For Ukraine, the country would never be the same. Gone was Yanukovych's dream of a country like Switzerland, 
a neutral nation at the crossroads between Russia and Europe. Page 3. Elected or Selected? Victoria Newland takes charge of the elections. At precisely the same time that riots were occurring in Kiev, Russia moved on Crimea. In its history, Crimea has seen many flags fly over its lands, as many have come to conquer this peninsula, which lies on the strategic intersection of the Black Sea and the Azov Sea. The citizens of Crimea had voted overwhelmingly to become part of Russia. President Putin said that for years he received requests from the Russian-speaking people of Crimea to escape the oppression of the Kiev government and to join the Russian Federation. Interestingly, the citizens in Crimea had much the same opinion of Kiev as those of the Maidan Revolution. Yet when Crimea voted by 97% in favor of integration with Russia, all of the Western powers rejected that referendum as illegitimate. On the one hand, accepting the premise of the Maidan Square protesters that Kiev was corrupt and needed to be opposed, but rejecting the exact same concept for Crimea. No matter what one feels about the legitimacy of the Russian annexation of Crimea, from a purely strategic perspective, it was a nearly flawless military action. Only five people died as Russia troops took control. Two Ukrainian soldiers, one Russian soldier, and two civilians. Meanwhile, across the Atlantic, Washington was busy reacting to everything happening in Ukraine. After Russia took Ukraine, quote, Vice President Joe Biden pressed President Obama to take decisive action and fast to make Moscow, quote, pay in blood and money for its aggression. A Biden aide recalled that the president was having none of it. This is reported in the Seattle Times, November 12, 2022. But while President Biden would not follow the vice president's admonition that Russia pay with money and blood, Nonetheless, he did appoint the vice president as the special emissary to Ukraine. Biden would join Victoria Nuland as the two ranking U.S. officials in Ukraine. Ms. Nuland assumed the position of Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs the year before. Ms. Nuland presented the world with the most iconic moment of the entire Maidan demonstration. She galvanized the protesters by leaving the U.S. Embassy and delivering cookies to the demonstrators. It was a simple gesture that vividly demonstrated the United States' support for overturning the existing Kiev government of Viktor Yanukovych. However, as the history of these events has unfolded in the intervening years, it is now apparent that Newland's role in guiding the 2014 Ukrainian coup went far beyond merely handing out cookies. The South China Morning News discovered a recorded of a conversation between Miss Newland and U.S. Ambassador Jeffrey Piat, discussing the chances of Poroshenko getting enough votes to take the presidency of Ukraine. In it, Miss Newland talks about her desire for Vitaly Klitschko to remain outside the new government. Klitschko and his brother Waldemir were very popular boxers and martial art experts. They both won many championships for Ukraine and had been slowly entering the political arena. As mayor of Kiev, Klitschko was a viable candidate for the presidency of Ukraine. 
But from Miss Newland's point of view, if Klitschko entered the presidential race at this critical point in 2014, he might take votes away from her preferred candidate, Petro Poroshenko. Known as the Chocolate King, Poroshenko was one of the wealthiest men in Ukraine, due mainly to his founding of, of the Roshan Confectionery Company. Newland's election strategy worked to a T. Poroshenko's main rival, Mayor Kalitsho, withdrew from the race, and Poroshenko won comfortably. As president, Poroshenko was entirely aligned with Newland and the Americans. Abandoning Ranukovych's hope for a neutral Ukraine, Poroshenko was staunchly anti-Russian, adopting a one-language policy that would virtually outlaw all the Russian speakers. He also pushed the Russian separatists further into the Donbass area. Now, the two Donbass centers of Donetsk and Luhansk were among the first regions of Ukraine liberated by the Russians during their current special military operation. Conclusion The 2014 Ukraine coup was now complete. The duly elected president, Viktor Yanukovych, was exiled to Russia. His dream of Ukrainian neutrality was to be no more. In his place, a solidly U.S.-EU president, Petro Poroshenko, would begin shutting down Russian-Ukraine relations while building Ukraine's ties to Europe and the United States. In the decades since the Ukraine coup, leaders worldwide have all changed. Most European countries have new prime ministers or presidents. Petro Poroshenko is no longer the president of Ukraine. But in the United States, the same trio continues at the top. Just this week, George Soros purchased the Audacity Group of 220 radio stations, thus becoming the second-largest radio network in the country just in time for the 2024 U.S. elections. Soros remains ever the political activist. Victoria Newland has risen through the ranks of the U.S. State Department and currently holds the position of Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs. She can continue influencing Ukrainian policies through that State Department position. Joe Biden, of course, is the President of the United States and continues to fight against Russia. For Biden, the past two years have seen Ukraine become the proxy of the United States to oppose Vladimir Putin's Russia aggressively. And that's today's Value Side. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valuesign.com. I'm David Ravel. ValueSide is independently written and researched. The views expressed are strictly my own.